Welcome to the Adventure Church Podcast. If you would like some more information about us, please visit adventurechurch.co.za. We hope that you will enjoy today's message. I think the discovery for us that has helped us is when the kids leave home, you have to rediscover communication and, and that because you're so occupied with kids and, you know, and so we thoroughly enjoyed getting to know each other, not just functionally, but to enjoy time together. Uh, and it, it wasn't easy, eh? It really wasn't easy. Then children came. Now that was our project. Now they're all gone. She stuck with me. I'm stuck with her. I think she's got the better deal, but... Uh, <laughs> as long as Marcus believes that. That's yeah. what they do, hey? <laughs> But uh, it is an awesome privilege. Um, I keep reminding myself at 85, uh, Caleb took the hill country. And it says that he was just as strong as when he was 50. And I think there's no excuse when you're kind of over 50 to kind of start thinking it's all about downhill. It's not. It's, it's, you know, the, the collateral and the wisdom, the understanding of God's ways. You know, you want to throw that all away? And our churches are richer if they've got that age. Um, But the key for me is how do you connect them with the younger generations? And usually the world through, what's it, the, what do they call it, the gap with the youth? uh, Generation generation gap. Try and separate the generations. But we do our hardest. And so we've got not just us who are bringing through young couples, uh, her mom and dad, the same, Bill and Julia. We've got a number of you know, couples who are over 50 that are helping us father. Many, uh, what do they call it, teachers, but few fathers. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, few that can actually say, just like Adele said, it's not perfect, but we set an example. Yeah. And we can help you now, you know, get to where you should go. We need it. Mm. And then when we get to 85, we can now take the biggest step we've ever taken. And that's not die, that's going to take the hill country, <laughs> which is awesome. But interesting, eh? do you know with the hill country, he didn't do it. He said, whoever yeah. takes, kills those, I can marry my daughter. <laughs> you see the wisdom? <laughs> At 85, I've still got the strength right over here, bro. <laughs> you go and do the work and you can have my daughter. Uh, <laughs> I like Caleb. Um, so I just want to encourage us. The, I've got nothing to do with the talk, but we do this, like Paul said, for the finish line. And wherever that finish line is, you know with your husband, we all wanted that finish line to be way further. But God said, there's the finish line. And I want to finish strong. Strong. And unfortunately, in ministry, many finish before the finish line, yeah. because they disqualify themselves. Yeah. In some way, the enemy gets in yeah. and grabs hold of them. Uh, and that's not cool. It really isn't. Mm-hmm. So the things that God has for us, I think the, the mantra at Cornerstone is faithful persisting with the basics. Mm-hmm. And you know, the temptation when you lead and you're on leadership teams is what's the next trick? Mm-hmm. You know, what's the next book? What's the next video series you know and it's great those are good read them they inspire us but that's what God's doing there God has called you to do what you're doing here 
that's what we got to hook into. Adventure yeah. Church. Yeah. What's your church's name? Destiny Life. Destiny Life. Yeah. Destiny Life. Yeah. Adventure. Adventure. Yeah. It's. That's our lane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's quite a used name, eh? <laughs> Believe, yeah, BCC. BCC, yeah, not, yeah. not BBC, but BCC. BCC. We've got our lanes and we've got to make it. So I feel the area that God is really putting his finger on uh, for me, you know, we get the privilege to do America, Canada, US. Uh, there's churches we planted there, New Zealand, and some in Europe. And you know what the issue is? No leaders. None. Their churches even some of our partnering churches, yeah. guys who've grown up in this culture, yeah. are not producing leaders. Yeah. And a base church produces leaders. That's yeah. it. Simple. And the reason why is because there is just so much opportunity out there. Like Craig, my son, while he's transitioning, our son, while he's transitioning a church, another guy says to him, would you like to take over a church? Mm. So, uh, and you can go on. We've got a couple, Phil and Sam, in London, and I go end of January, they transition into church. So this, the, the kind of connections that they're busy with, the churches that are, they don't produce leaders. And around the world, it's, we, we can't apologize for this. South Africans are planting. South Africans are leading. And it's not because you know, of our army upbringing or anything. There's a, an anointing on our country for now, an open doors. And the big thing for us is we raise leaders, Adele and I, in the context of Cornerstone for what God wants. And in the interim, we use them for what we are doing. We don't do it the other way around. You know, let's raise the leaders just for Cornerstone and then we'll send a few out. No, whatever you want to do with them, Lord. And we've seen, like, the hardest for me was our son. You know, we preach this to everybody and then, you know, he says we're going to plant. Yeah, sure. Open your hands. Open your hands. We would be one heck of a powerful church right now with a lot of infighting <laughs> if, we'd, if we kept them all. Maybe a big mega church, but that's not the heart that God has for us. It's we, we need to focus on leading, uh, on in our ship raising up leaders. Uh, and we know the three R's of that is recognize, raise, release. It's, it's we, we, every leader, along with being anointed to lead, is anointed to breed. And that's, that exactly. It, that same anointing helps us identify them, helps us work at raising them, and then finding ways to release them. And that raising is what I want to talk about here, some of the ways we, we do it. I think many of us have replaced that body of truth and that, ethos of ministry that we raise our leaders with from outside sources. Now, for me, the Bible needs to inform us on this primarily. You know, you can go to 1 Timothy 3, see the qualifications of an elder and deacon. You can look at 1 Peter chapter 5. It gives you four or five verses on eldership. You can look at the whole of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy and Titus, and it's advice to elders, more or less. You know, how to kind of do the A to Z of eldering. And then the chapter I want to read part of is from Acts chapter 20, where Paul at the end of his ministry in Asia is, calls for the elders. Now, I think 
we need to get that into our body of doctrine on how we la raise leaders and then add to that, but let that be the, in the way we do it. And I know there's great ideas out there, but increasingly we need to come back to the scriptures. So you all know the story. Right at the beginning of Paul's time in Ephesus, uh, he arrives in Ephesus in chapter 19 and he meets 12. And immediately they're called disciples. Interesting that, hey? He meets 12 and now the very first thing he does is he teaches them about the gospel because they'd only been baptized with John's baptism. They get baptized in water, they get filled with the Spirit, speaking in tongues, I know. Sounds like, uh, are we Pentecostal? No, we're just biblical. Uh, and then from then onwards, they go with him to the synagogue. They're the team around him. Isn't that amazing? He's just met them, but he gets them sorted out with the gospel. Then they go to Tyrannus's Hall. And for the next three years, he preaches and impacts the whole of Asia. And it says that because he's raised up disciples. Yeah. You know, Christ uh, gets this crowd of hundreds and hundreds. And then he, after Sermon on the Mount, he prayerfully spends the whole night asking God, who are disciples? And then he chooses 12. And from then on, it's just about sending them out, sending them out, sending them out, and then making the adjustments. But notice the adjustments are with sending him out. Paul, the whole kind of way he does ministry, get Timothy, come with me, we're going we're gonna to go. And on the job training. So I think there's an aspect of that that we need to recover. So the next three years, those 12, I believe some of them must have helped him plant churches in Asia, all over the place. And uh, so then when he gets to the end of his time and he's going to have his last discussion with the Ephesians elders, I'm sure some of those 12 must have been there. You know, I, I could just see him having handed authority to, over, you know, to some of them and they're the elders that he calls for. I want to look at that bit of scripture because it's, it's interesting because he, all he's going to do is recount what he did while he was there. That's leadership 101 for me. So let's pick that up in Acts chapter 20 verse 17. We're going to lead 22 verses of scripture. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they, had come to, when they came to him, he said, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. And you know, most of our leadership training starts from a very high position, and we're going to teach these wonderful principles to people. Yes, he's level with the gravel. <laughs> you know, he's right there. He's setting example. I love it. Um, Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. Interesting, hey? the apostle, probably the most powerful one beside Christ, is actually doing public teaching and house to house. You know, you think, no, yes, the way we know it, guys only want big auditoriums. They're not interested in house to house. Testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit. Spirit's leading him, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. So, 
John is coming on to eldership tomorrow. I hope you heard that. This thing is not a walk in the park. Whatever it takes, including suffering, we, we're willing to do it. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now behold, I know that none of you among whom I've gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see me, see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all. I did not shrink from declaring you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Yes, everything about shepherding, about eldership, about leadership is here in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, this is shocking. Fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. There is one of the, the biggest things that we have to deal with as leaders. From the outside... We have had guys see a big group of people. They want to come pray on them. Mm. And then from the inside, mm. notice the motive is always to draw a following after themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And wherever people take the glory and introduce doctrines that kind of get people to follow them, that's where we bring our rod yeah. and we give them a good club. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. That's an interesting word, admonish. You know, it's teach, but admonish means we are correcting with the word. Yeah. It's like a snot club in love. That's the best way of describing that. And we need it because truth needs to correct us. We, we can't just say, yeah, we obey the truth and then we still hold our opinions. No, your opinion needs to disappear and the word of God needs to be the new authority. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He's working for every single person to get their inheritance. I love that in, uh, about a leader. I'm going to make it and enjoy it and I'll be famous and I'm the rock star, I'm the main kind of character, the lead role in this particular drama. No, I want everybody whom I'm responsible for to get their inheritance. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Isn't that interesting, hey? I don't know why you would want somebody else's clothes. But anyway, it seems as though it was something in those days. But, and we will mix with some of the richest and some of the poorest. But we don't covet. You yourselves know that with these hands I ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. He even worked so that his team didn't have to work. Yes, I tell you, that's quite something. In all, th in all things, I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, I himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful, most of all because of the word he had spoken. They would not see his faith, face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Yes, it's powerful passage. I hope the chosen eventually get to this one. You know, but it takes them, what, like almost two years to do eight episodes. <laughs> so I might not see it, see it from heaven. But this is so full of emotion, but it's so powerful in the teaching. 
And I, I just see relationship here. Um, you know, I just see such an incredible heart towards ministry. When I see this, I say, that's what I want to be. You know, and, you know, I don't want my name on a book uh, or whatever kind of leg. It must be in people. I want to leave behind a heritage of people that love the Lord, have this vision, this passion for the kingdom. And so from that, I've extracted just general, like, headlines for me of eldership characteristics from this passage. First one is commitment. They walked or rode on a donkey 72 kilometers for one sermon. He sent from Miletus to Ephesus. And when you go and do the, you know, the little Google map thing of it in those days, it took two days if you walked it. And they came for one sermon. Yes, you know yourself, the big rocks in your church, when you call for your leaders to be there, yeah. you think, how do they miss this? Yeah. And you know, big rocks are the Sundays. It's life group, it's prayer. Yeah. It's when we get together in our connect times and that. And uh, you know, it just shocks me that leaders, leaders not only should see this, they should be just celebrating it and not dragging their feet to it. Those aren't leaders in my opinion. And it's not just through commitment to meetings that we make leaders. It's those out of those that are there because they celebrate that with us. Yeah. And I just love that, is that commitment is faithfulness, is reliability, is consistency, and that's what you can build with. Mm. You know, it's 2 Timothy 2.2. Paul says to Timothy, these things you must teach faithful men. Yeah. And too many times we get caught up in our shepherding with just helping problems. Yeah. But the only way we're going to multiply what we are doing is with yeah. people that are committed. And if they can't see it as I'm seeing it, as God has challenged us, then I'm really just flogging a dead horse here. Anyway, number two, set an example, even in dire circumstances. And we know increasingly in the world that we live in, people look for rock star preachers and a lot of times the lead of teams present themselves as this and so there's a set of rules for them and there's a set of rules for the sheep but even though the Jews were after him and right to the end you we've just finished preaching on the book of Acts we took two and a half years and right at the end he's in Jerusalem he's in Rome he sends for the Jewish council there the Sanhedrin there and he just tries to explain that he's you know Whatever charge they had in Jerusalem is stupid. And then he presents a gospel to him. I wouldn't. I would not want to even mix with the Jews. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. They may have clapped him in the past. And they may have persecuted him every way. He keeps on going. And for me, this thing of I share this gospel and I serve the Lord with humility, even though there are tears. Yeah. I'm willing to pay the price. I'm going to set an example. And it's not because it's easy. It's because it's necessary. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1 says, Follow me as I follow Christ. And that, I tell you, we have no greater authority than that. Because the rest of what you're saying, if it's not you working this out yourself and grappling with that truth and setting an example, theory, and sometimes hypocrisy. Uh, and I don't want that. You know, two sets of rules. Not at all. Then the, the biggest part of all of the teaching over here 
And that goes back to, for me, uh, Acts chapter 6, where they have this church growth problem. They've got the problem with the widows. And the Word of God, the ministry of the Word of God has been jeopardized. And so they appoint whatever's going to be necessary to ensure the Word of God is going to go out powerfully. And for me, ministry of the Word of God is our bread and butter. That is our bottom line. You see it. Um, you know, elders must be able to teach. Uh, deacons are acquainted with the truth. Um, it's vital. Vital. The word ministry of the word of God is vital. How's it, Leon? Good Sorry. to see you. Sorry. Welcome, guys. Sorry, guys. You are? Yeah. Good to see you, buddy. <laughs> Sorry, man. Sorry. Yeah. Good to see you, hey? Grab a chair. And we busy with Acts chapter 20. We've only got 34 more points to go. <laughs> Notice how quiet they are. <laughs> oh. So, ministry of the Word of God. We tend to say the church grew. Acts says the word spread. We talk about church growth, and Acts talks about word growth. Preach the word and let God take care of the size of the church. And that, I think, comes against the backdrop where Church growth seminars were all about filling your building. And it wasn't about getting the Word of God out. Yeah. And for me, the, the one vital point with leaders is must be good at the ministry of the Word of God. And it's something we never kind of, you know, get to the end of because we'll always grow, we'll always learn, we'll always be trusting God. And kind of I try and teach, we have a preacher's team, and it's not about learning the sermon for Sunday, it's get the Word in you. So that when you preach, you've got three little points on a piece of paper. Yeah. And we're going to hear a wealth of the ministry of the word taking place. So in that whole passage, he goes to it often and he warns them that this is the area the enemy is going to come in. Mm. And we've kind of been through a couple of seasons at Cornerstone. And even prior to that with the denomination we are with. And you can clearly see the way the enemy wants to cause division is through error yeah. Yeah. error just a little degree to the left or to the right but always people are trying to get a following after themselves yeah. i've never seen anybody come in one year we had a group that were into hyper grace and we had a group that were into law sabbath on the saturday sub, what's it meal on the friday night the shabak whatever it is and legalism like you can't believe it the two extremes but the whole idea wasn't to set them free. It was to get a following after themselves. Yeah. Both of those disappeared. We didn't, you know, they took about 35, 40 people with them. But you, know, you can't point to them in a church successful and free. Yeah. But again, it's truth that's been attacked. Yeah. And right now, if any of you have been kind of listening a little bit, there's a massive attack against truth again. Yeah. In this kind of woke society we're in, they say, no love and justice are opposite sides of a coin. But they say, because of 1 Corinthians 13, 13, you know, these three remain faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. So love trumps everything. So even though God wrote about homosexuals and God wrote about this in the Bible, love wins. Just don't worry about any of that. And so they called the deconstructionists, and they are deconstructing truth. And if you do not know truth, you're going to kind of, like a fish, you're going to take that, that hook 
and you're going to die. And so we owe it to our people to be so, uh, I don't know, like baptized in the word and understanding and loving the word. Every single leader should constantly be reading through the scriptures for themselves, for their devotion, and then studying as God shows and not just for Sunday's preach. Sunday's preach is like the icing on top, but unless there are these foundations in our lives, Mm. we're not the leaders God wants us to be. Mm. And so, you know, some might say, well, you know, as an elder, well, I'm not the preacher. It doesn't matter. It's not about that. We all minister the Word of God at all times. Sometimes you'll have a privilege one-on-one, one-on-two, one to a family, one to a life group, five people. And even if, if you earn your stripes in all of those, it doesn't matter if you're in front of 20,000 or one, same thing. Yeah. I've prepared my heart. My heart's in the right Sorry, yeah. I hit that. <laughs> Our hearts are in the right place. But this we have to get in early. Mm. And, you know, it's, it's interesting um, how kind of nowadays you, you can buy ready set sermons. There's even a church in California, it was in San Francisco, where they have an AI preacher. You know, they've got a microphone up, and then he's going to give you the sermon for the day. They'll just type in the subject and generate a sermon, and eventually generate a nice picture to go with it. (laughs) But previous to that, there was sermon.com. Previous to that, in some of the denominations, they had set sermons for each day, each Sunday of the year. And so there's not a lack of sermons on tap. But it's not that. We should systematically be teaching our people scriptures. And what do you want to say to them, Lord? And then we're going back to the word of God with that. And that was Paul's struggle. You know the um, Ephesians culture, uh, when you kind of read up, it was the center of Diana worship. It was an industrial capital. There were idols of every type over there. You know, he didn't go in with a big advertising campaign or a big auditorium. and He went in with teaching the Word of God. Mm. And that's how he broke open society to the degree that they turned on him. Because now people were not making idols, mm. these little Diana statues. Uh, and so the whole thing kind of, they got aggressive towards him because of that. So I want to encourage you, the only way you're going to turn this region upside down, it's not through anything else other than the Word of God, then God will give you the tools. So we were with the church last weekend whose lease is just expiring at the station. His name is Stan. (laughs) And they want to put their rent up like ridiculous. But kind of the word for him was, and he knows it, just relax. God will give you the tools you need. Yes, we do go and look. Yes, we do buy property. Yes, we, we do make plans in that. But the best effort is the ministry of God's Word. Yeah, That's exactly it. Because we do not want to default. We've got an auditorium and it's just hollow sounding words. And so, yeah, from that passage of Scripture, uh, this is, it says, the ministry of the Word is profitable. The ministry of the Word takes place in homes and in congregational settings. So, in your oversight, what is your plan for the ministry of the word in homes? Your life groups, your home groups, whatever you call them. So, what we've done, just as an example, we've said there's an info overload. 
And we don't want to put pressure on our deacons to preach a new sermon at a life group. So we say the sermon on Sunday, we ask questions on Wednesday or Thursday, and we pray and say, how can you make it practical? So in other words, we're celebrating truth, and we're honoring the fact that there's the sermon, now we need to flesh it out. That's what we do. Some guys, they give a, give a new sermon based on Sunday to their deacons to preach. But the fact is, as elders, you need to take responsibility. It's not like you preached your thing on Sunday. No, we need to take responsibility. Third one is the ministry of the word is centered in the gospel, our relationship with the, and faith in Jesus. That's it. Spurgeon said, if Jesus is not the main feature of your sermon and the gospel is clear, then that sermon is not worth being preached. And, you know, some will say, well, you know, we're reading through Esther and we're preaching through that. Every book of the Bible has got Jesus. Yeah. If you yeah. can't find Jesus in that sermon, <coughs> chuck the sermon out and find a new one. Yeah, good, yeah. Because it has to. And if you go, 1 Corinthians 10 says it's all a shadow of Christ. Every single thing in the scriptures points to Jesus. And so for you to have a sermon without Jesus, it's like having a boat without sails. You're going to go absolutely nowhere. The ministry of the word is the whole counsel of God. Now, yes, the challenge for me is list the whole counsel of God. There may be 12 big headings, depending on how you do it. Doctrine of God, Holy Spirit, Father, Son, uh, Doctrine of Salvation, Eschatology, and so on. Now, you need to be well-rounded in all those areas. And by nature, some of us favor one or the other. Yeah. You know, we're more into eschatology. I think over COVID, everybody was an expert on... <laughs> Who the Antichrist was, Bill Gates, still my money's on him. <coughs> uh, some are thinking Elon, of course, because he, he looks a little tricky to me. <laughs> but uh, what about the WEF? What's the head of that? That guy, he looks more like the Antichrist. And, and I think, we, you know, for me, I think we missed a great opportunity during COVID to actually just talk about the gospel. But we freaked people out with all our stupidity around eschatology. Uh, but are you a whole counsel of God person or are you just slanted in some way? I'm just this or I'm just that. And we help each other and we encourage each other this way. So there was a guy, Michael Eaton used to teach at our church and he taught. We've got it on tape. You can get it on our website. The whole counsel of God. It forms a good basis. But I asked him, how do you do that? You know, he's, and boy, his notes for an hour, were like about four or five lines. Sure. He would talk on the whole counsel of God, on every one of the subjects. He says, what you do is say, start with doctrine of God, or doctrine of the Father. And you get an exercise book, and you read the Bible through, and then take notes. And so all 12 of them, you read the Bible through, and you take notes. <laughs> In other words, the only way you're going to get a, that whole counsel of God is just keep reading through the Scriptures. Yeah. And God will inform us. Then the ministry of the word of God is all about the kingdom. The ministry of the word will save us from savage wolves. That's deception, manipulation, ungodly people. And the way we refute error is through the ministry of the word of God. That's it, simple. We know the illustrations about, you want to know what a false diamond is? You've got to keep looking at what a normal diamond is to find out what's false. Uh, I don't know about the details of that, but I've heard that illustration. 
And so the more we know the word, the more we're going to be able to refute error. We're able to pick it up very quickly. And the ministry of God's word is his grace. The grace of God. And so I want to suggest that you, even if you do preach more like subjects and not like Bible books or sections and that, still make sure it's a good exposition of Scripture. And if you don't know what that means, I'll help you buy the right books so that you can be a good expositor of God's Word. Don't buy the commentaries only. First buy the dictionaries and the lexicons and all of that to help you understand Scripture so that the Scripture speaks and not yeah. some other person. So I just encourage you with that. Um, okay, so that's the big point out of that whole passage. And then um, a leader, for me an elder, must be led by the Spirit. Yeah. Paul says, I'm constrained by the Spirit. And you'll see that kind of track record right through Paul's life is he's constantly led by the Spirit. Mm. You know, and at times you think, uh, like this one in particular, I don't understand it. I'm going to be led to my suffering and for the sake of what God's called us to, whatever it takes. Mm. And I remember at one stage, Dudley Daniel talked about we need plants. Mm. And he named Blum, Pretoria, Cape Town. Yes, immediately there were 10 plants in Cape Town. <laughs> it was like, you know, where the flesh desires, it's easy to see the leading of God. But actually, God's will, whatever it is, we need to go for it. Mm. You know, like our son going to New York. Mm. You know, why don't you rather go to the Midwest or the Bible Belt, where in five weeks you can have a thousand people. <laughs> because, you know, but whatever the will of God is, I want to go for that. Led of the Spirit. For me, there's too much orphan Christianity around. Yeah. Because of the way in which we label there's no Baptist, there's no Pentecostal, there's no Charismatic, no Presbyterian in Scripture. Those are our titles. Yeah. And we kind of then say, you know, I believe in the Spirit because I'm more Pentecostal. Either it's Word of God or not. And I cannot see us doing what God's called us to do without the Holy Spirit. There is no ways we can do it. Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, the Lord says. And so cessationism... You got, I tell you, you've got to work really hard to convince me from scriptures. It's not there. Yeah. But also sensationalism, the other extreme, where God's not there unless there's snowflakes and all sorts of, you know, actually every single time we get together is there. Yeah. And as elders, as, you know, those who carry governmental authority, submit to his authority. Yeah. What do you want to do today? Yeah. Yes, it may be that he wants us to have five minutes and he'll have 55 minutes. Yeah. But it's almost like I've got to give you my deposit and then we'll see if we can do a tag on at the end. No way. If you want a good chapter on the Holy Spirit, it's Luke chapter 4. It's kind of our relationship with the Spirit. Jesus, full of the Spirit, is led of the Spirit, confesses the abilities He has in the Spirit and He comes out of a time of temptation in the power of the Spirit he has amazing anointed ministry by the Spirit, and then he goes back to God's presence to be filled again. Mm. All in one chapter. And that thing from uh, Ephesians 5, whatever it is, where it says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. What does be filled with the Spirit mean? 
going into God's presence, yeah. waiting on Him, letting Him just inform us and fill our hearts again. Just two or three more. Next one is the willingness to pay the price. Those are the kind of leaders for me that are worth their salt. Are you willing, not only to commit like we said at the beginning, but are you willing to pay the price? I find there's a self-preservation as opposed to a sacrificial attitude. You know, I'll serve God. I'm hearing your vision, Nick, Dan, etc., uh, Leon, but it's, I'm going to see how this fits into my schedule. I want to see how this fits into my way of life. It's even like the gospel. You know, yeah, if I've got time, but you know, this is what I'm doing. No, he says, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious for myself. I want to finish this course, the ministry that, that I receive from the Lord. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. And that is our job to lead that way and to teach that way. Then he said, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Shepherd and exercise oversight. So that is, who's look after sheep? That's us. Like Adele said at the beginning, there are times when you get like, as you just don't want to see another person. <laughs> then go and have a little break. Go and pray. Go and sort yourself out. You know? And then, but we always lead God's people out of, out of a love for them. And we cannot default with that. We can't slap sheep around. You know, it's keep a few lambs near you. And when the wolf comes, you throw a lamb at him and then you run away. You know, that's not shepherding. <clears throat> it's a nice idea, but that's not the way Jesus did it. He had the ultimate heart of compassion. You know, he looked at Jerusalem as sheep without a shepherd. They're not tithing units. <laughs> These are my tithing. And I often hear guys, so where's break even? Well, you know, when I get about 100, it'll be break even. Yeah, I know what you're saying. But don't ever see your people as tithing units yeah. or as serving units or as whatever. They are precious, blood-bought, and I have the privilege of working with them. Um, and a friend of mine gave me this illustration. It's not a good one, but I like it. <laughs> you know, usually when you, as a pastor, you do the wedding, you get put at the odd table if you don't know the family, where the odd members are. <laughs> you know, like they're not too sure. Was that your family or my family? Well, how did they get here? You know, table 15 or whatever it is, right at the back in the corner. And then the boss is there. And, and now you as the pastor must lead all these ones to the Lord. <laughs> That's your job. Then you get a meal. <laughs> so uh, he got next, either the bride or the groom, you're sitting next to the, the boss. And this guy's a big line in a business. And of course, it comes up, what do you do? And uh, they didn't know this guy was a pastor. He didn't do the wedding. But anyway, so the guy says, I'm a CEO of a company, blah, blah. What do you do? He said, I look after somebody else's wife. <laughs> yes. And I said, I'm interested. <laughs> That's my kind of job. <laughs> so he said, explain. He said, I'm a pastor and I look after the bride of Christ. Hi. Yes, I tell you, that just blew this guy's mind. Sure. A new understanding of what it means to be a minister. But that's our job, eh? and we need to be eunuchs in our thinking. Yeah. Those people are not there for our advantage in any way. They are not there to prop us up, serve us, whatever. God exalts. Not that. And then, of course, hot on the heels of that is financial godliness. I coveted no one's silver or gold or appar apparel clothing. 
And, you know, you think of James, and I battle with that. You know, it's amazing how uh, the guys with cash, they've got a front seat. Yeah. The guys who haven't, who come in looking a little bedraggled, just make sure he's at the back and keep your eye on him. And when it comes time for coffee, make sure two biscuits each. <laughs> We've done that. <laughs> Not the, the hypocrisy hypocrisy but but at some of our sites we just got so many homeless people you know they would put about eight biscuits in a cup yeah. 16 sugars and a yeah. drop of water and make pop out of it but that was the only meal they had that day so i said let them do it i'm not in you know i want to rather see them get some food but it's this thing of we we shouldn't be able to be bought i tell you it's wrong it's wrong it is so wrong and then as what are you smiling at, Nick? <laughs> yeah. Nick, can I have some water, please? Sparkling, that would be great. <laughs> Let's give you something to do. This is a big issue because I see some of our young guys, you know, who are just starting out. And we mix with the very rich and we mix with the very poor. So you see now we always want to hang out with the very rich because, you know, they'll maybe be kinder to us or whatever. And we've got to be careful that our motives are, hey, thanks, buddy, that our motives are right. Yeah. Uh, and I, you know, you can't fall in love with that. Yeah. Whatever station in life you have, if you put yourself there, you're going to have to keep yourself there. Yeah. Let God be the one that puts you there. Yeah. You know, and we were very long into our marriage before we got our first house. And, you know, at times I thought, yes, you know, you're inviting guys from Bedford View to this house in a poorer community you know it could be an issue not a problem we're one family and we have to have that attitude we really have to it's uh, and then the second side of this is um from timothy it says if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household he is denied the face faith and is worse than an unbeliever so you know often it's like my family must just pay the price no, your first responsibility yeah. is to provide for your family. Yeah. That, for me, is the way we set an example. Yeah. You know, yeah, you want to kind of lead in the family, but yet you don't want to supply? No. And so I want to encourage us. There is God's way of doing finance, and there's these other ways. But our heart should always be to help the poor. Yeah. We found that at times when, you know, our salaries were threatened, and kind of it was sometimes we knew... We weren't going to get paid on time and not even the full amount. No. When needs came through, yeah. we didn't take it to the church. We took it to the elders first. Mm -hmm. And I often found it never got beyond the elders because they were the ones who put the money together mm -hmm. to pay for the widow or pay for somebody. And that has to be us, mm -hmm. is we first. If there's something happening, you can't just say, well, you know, we'll approach the richer dudes or even the richer elders on yeah, team. All of us. Yeah. We've got to know how to give. It's vitally yeah. important. Yeah. Hard work's not a bad thing. Giving tests our hearts. The most generous people in the local church should be the eldership team. And you know, the only way you do that is not to talk, it's to do. Yeah. And eventually people realize that. Yeah. You know, they'll ask questions and then, well, how did that happen? I don't know, the elders just blessed us. What? This is a different thing in the church. Eh? <laughs> and then the last one is... Leadership is the importance of meaningful, life-giving relationships. 
That, when you go around to first world and you say, what does revival look like? You know, they always say relationships because they don't have it. They're the loneliest people on yeah. the planet, some of them, yeah. in churches. They're, they're not connected relationally. They don't invite each other into their homes. Uh, you you kind of connect through organization and admin and, you know, you tick boxes and sign forms and pay subscription fees. But the basis of what we do is relationships. Yeah. And the fact that this group would go 72Ks to see Paul yeah. from, Milet uh, from Ephesus to Miletus and then they kneel down on the beach and weep as they pray because they're never going to see Paul again. If you were to leave now, would people be kneeling down on the beach and weeping? Or they'd be going, hallelujah, he's finally going. Oh, Lord, thank you for hearing our prayers. Oh, never knew this would happen. <laughs> and if you weren't there, would you be missed? Yes, I tell you, that's quite a thing. But then it impacts on the way your philosophy of ministry is built. And it, I tell you, there's no shortcut. Building block number one, and it's got it in the qualifications of an elder, must show hospitality. If your home's not open, your heart's not open. And that's as simple as it is. Is your home open? Do people even know the insides of your home? And I know you two are thinking... I wish this season was over. <laughs> but then your home is still open. It's our primary discipleship tool. And it's not about have you got all the things that open and close and the bells and whistles and the quality of food and China and all the rest. It's the heart. You can come there on a paper plate and eat a dry slice of bread. But it's what we, we're doing it together. And so I want to encourage us, never stop building relationally. And you know, for three years, it's interesting, the emotions here. Hey? Paul arrives at this place, knows nobody. He makes 12 disciples. He preaches for three years and reaches a whole area. He gets to Miletus, and after three years, this group of elders join him, and they're weeping. And then he writes in 2 Timothy, another 20 years later, they've all deserted me. <laughs> and, and only Anisiphorus is left, who loves Paul. <laughs> yes. This is tough stuff. In other words, where are we going to get hit hardest is truth and relationships. I tell you, relationships. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing. While we're building, some guys are trying to take what we're doing and own it and make it something that's going to bring themselves glory. Yes, it's. But God's in charge. Eh? I'm going to live free and healed. And, uh, this thing of relationships really... Are you free? Yeah. Have you got like a legacy of broken relationships behind you? Yeah. Mistrust. Now I tell you, it is so important that we are free. If right now, anybody that kind of is living there, you know, thinking, you know, I hate that guy, or whatever. You need to sort those things out. Yeah. Those are the things that are anchors that hold us down. We were just talking last night about the importance of unity in the body of Christ. Yeah. Psalm 133. Unity equals anointing. Every Sunday, what do you pray for, Leon? Lord, pour your spirit out. What do you pray? Lord, we want to see signs and wonders. We want to see a move of your spirit. Yet there's disunity. It's like you keep shooting yourself in the foot. It's just living unity, loving one another, and you're going to see the anointing of God. Uh, Jesus' prayer, I'll end with this in John 17. He prays for himself, for the disciples, and for 
those the disciples are going to minister to, which is us. So he prays for himself, then he prays for the disciples, make them one as we are one, unity. Then, when he prays for us, make them perfectly one. That's now new spin on it. You know, it's not just unity. He wants unity on steroids. Perfectly. And perfect means put effort into it. Make it happen. Forgive. Be front-footed about relationships. And you know, too many times I sit on my throne like I am now and I judge everybody else. Wrong, 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 wrong. Matsaka, wrong, wrong. Matsaka, wrong, wrong. You know? <laughs> and I feel so justified in myself. No, get off your... And then you go and sort relationships out. Because you need to. You need to live with that kind of humility. Forgive and love and gen. We need to be generous with that in every single way. Yeah. You know, you can't have the elders of the church, the grumpy lot. Yeah, absolutely. There they are, the grumpy ones. Don't go and ask an elder in this church. Ask the guy at the door. He's the loving one. Yeah. No, elders should be open-hearted in every single way. And you pick it up whether elders are trustworthy in that regard or not. You can, you can spot it a mile away. Body language doesn't lie, <laughs> whether they're interested or not. So, Lord, give me that kind of heart. Yeah. You know, it's interesting how, you know, you think, well, I'm going to get a team. And I know Nick's praying this. I don't know why he's got John on that team so far. Because he said, Lord, I want guys that are going to like just be cool and like me and snakes and, you know, do all the things I want them to do. But he's got exactly the opposite. And that's what God does. He he does like you. He puts opposite on team. But you know why? So that iron sharpens iron. And we get sharper. When are we ready to have children as a couple? After they've left our house. Now, that's why we make such good grandparents. Because now we know. And the whole purpose of the kids in our house, okay, we were going to give them the right upbringing, was us. The whole plan was to get us sharper. <laughs> we had to learn to love. And, you know, most of the arguments came, you know, I would say always yes, and Adele would always say no. Uh, you know, I was, who cares? Go for it, you know. Mom. <laughs> and then in the bedroom. <laughs> but it was so we could get sharper. And this thing of Christianity would be really cool if it wasn't through the people. Yeah. You know, it would be the perfect place to be. But that's the issue. I want to be forgiving and loving, and I want to not be the one who's the grumpy one. Um, you all know Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Which dwarf are you? That's my big question. <laughs> grumpy? <laughs> or happy? <laughs> or Doc? Always analyzing everything. <laughs> no, I want to be happy. Jesus is Lord of my life. I want to live healed. Amen.